So if I were to ask you, are you religious? Or if somebody else were to ask you, are you religious? How would you respond? And you don't have to tell me right now. Um, and part of the reason why I don't want you to say it out loud is because I know in this room there are a variety of answers. If someone were to ask you, are you religious? Some of you would say, well, of course I'm religious. I'm a Christian and Christianity is a religion. But I know, and I've talked with some of you about this, that some of you would say, well, I don't think Christianity is really a religion. Uh, because we talk, talk about what you think or what you, how you see what a religion is. You might say that I have a relationship or it's, I have a, a life with Jesus, but I'm not, not religious. Again, some of you, though, might say, well, of course, Christianity is a religion. If you go outside of these walls, the answers might be even more varied. And not only are there people who are maybe Christian, but who would say they're not religious or I, I, I have more of a relationship. We go beyond the people who aren't Christian. There's probably a lot of people who would say, you know what, I'm not religious at all. And I think religion is a problem. And if that opinion is out there, and if we have such mixed ideas and feelings about the word religion, it's important for us to ask an uncomfortable question today. If so many people see religion as being a problem, and if even within these walls we have mixed feelings about the word religion, is religion part of the problem? And the answer might be a bit surprising. Let's get into God's Word. James chapter 1. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Now our lesson today comes from a book that is written by a man named James. James, the brother of Jesus. Guys, can you imagine having Jesus be your brother? Like, what a challenging sibling situation that might be by having, like, why do you got to be so perfect all the time, bro? Like, I mean, what a, what a unique family dynamic that would be. But he is he's the brother of Jesus. And uh, he uh, initially, his family, his, his brothers didn't really believe in him. But then they are brought to faith. And James actually becomes the leader of the church in Jerusalem. Really, that first Christian community, James is the leader. And he writes to people who he's, he's expecting to have a, a, a Jewish background, which is important for us to realize because as he writes, he has an expectation that you're going to have familiarity with the Old Testament Scriptures. And you're going to have a familiarity with, with some of these terms and concepts. And that will be helpful when you get into our sermon lesson today. Also, James, he's kind of like, it's kind of like a New Testament Proverbs in many ways. And you can see that connection some with a statement that he makes in verse 6. He says, if anyone, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God for it, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. You think of the wisdom books of the Old Testament, but Proverbs especially sticks out in this book that talks so much about wisdom. And wisdom, and when you think about the Bible, is really how to live life well. How do you live out that faith? How do you live your life the way God would have you live it? That's what James goes about, talks about a lot in this book, over and over again. Living out your life. How does life work well? As he does so, he also writes very much in a style of Proverbs. He has a lot of short, powerful statements that he makes. And so the book of James is incredible. It's a great read, but it doesn't read. It's not like a narrative where you just like keep going and keep going. 
It's the kind of book where you might read like one verse and then stop and ponder it for days because there's just so much power in those one verses or a couple verses. Today, our lesson is just two verses, but there's a ton into it in it for us to dig into and to chew on. First of all, it says, if anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. So let's take a look at what the word religion really means in the original language. It's talking about fearing or reverencing or respecting God. So you're, you're, you have a fear of the, law, of the Lord or a fear of God, or you show a respect or a, a, a reverence to God. Well, this says that there is a way of doing religion, of, of acting in a way where you look like you respect God, where you look like you fear God, there's a way of doing this where it's worthless. And the word worthless, it literally means empty or no purpose. So it's kind of like if you were to go to do something and you're hoping to have, there's a purpose, there's a goal, right? Well, there's a way of religion that totally loses the goal. That misses the point of what religion is about. Of what respecting God, fearing God it's all about it. And this is the point of fearing God, what it really means, what it's really for, what it's really meant to accomplish. And so to this question, is religion part of the problem? James would say emphatically, it sure can be. Yes. Religion can be done in a way where it is a major... Actually, biblically speaking, you go through and you look at what God's Word says, you can make the case that bad religion is the problem. Worship that is wrong, that is done wrong, worshiping the wrong thing, worshiping uh, in, in, in the wrong being, the wrong way, that is the fundamental issue, the problem that exists. So if there is a worship that is wrong, that is worthless, that misses the point, if there's a religion that is wrong and misses a point, and James is talking, by the way, remember to Christians, so he's not just saying that like, he's not just talking about other world religions, he's talking to Christians. We better stop and take note of what he's talking about, because that's a big deal. He says, if anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. He's talking about the tongue, he's talking about words and keeping a tight rein on your words and what you say. And the word tight, when it says tight rein, it literally says bridle lead. So you think of horses, and I don't, I'm not a horse guy. I don't know a lot about working with horses. There's probably people at church, I know there's people at church who spend time with horses quite a bit and are probably going to say, Pastor A, you have no clue what you're talking about. What I do know is there are ways you use the harness and everything, right, to direct the horse. And part of it has to do with the bit you put in its mouth and so on. And, and, and you do this to, to, to keep it under control, to direct it where to go. And this is the illustration for your words. And James says, if you don't do that with your words, this is a major problem, which I stop and I take note of that because I don't know if you've you know, noticed that with me over the last nine years, um, but I tend to talk a lot. And uh, it just kind of comes naturally. I just say, you know, I'm kind of a talker, you know, first to raise my hand kind of guy in class, right? So when I come across a section of Scripture that says, if you don't bridle your tongue, your religion's worthless, that's a big stopping point for me. So I go, what is he talking about? Why is he? It seems a little bit abrupt. 
But that's why we read our lesson that we did today from chapter 3 of James. Because there James fleshes out the issue with the tongue. There James uses some pictures. And we won't read through all these, but feel free to read through them over my shoulder. There's three illustrations. The first one he uses, he talks about, um, about the bit that you put again in a, in a horse's mouth. Here he's talking about how you know, it's just this little piece that you put in a horse's mouth, but this little piece really helps you control and direct the horse. It's small, but it has major power to direct where things go. Or you think about a rudder on a ship. You know, you can have a massive ship, but that rudder doesn't have to be very big, right? This is small rudder can direct where the ship goes. And two, you think about a, f- a spark to start a fire. Uh, this last week uh, would have been Camp Rise um, that, that I run each summer. We end up not having it um, this last week, but there's this campfire song. You know, it only takes a spark to get a fire going. There we use it in a very positive way. You know, it's one little spark of, of, of sharing the good news can spread all over. But also, one little spark of the wrong thing can start a wildfire. It doesn't take much to really cause big issues and big problems. And it can direct your whole life. And so James is emphasizing the tongue because he sees, he's, he's letting us know that, that when you think about your words, or if you don't think about your words, if you just let whatever come out, it affects your whole being. It affects all of you. Which, by the way, this week when I've been reading through um, the book of James, he talks here about the tongue. He talks about being quick to listen, slow to speak. I've come to the conclusion that I need to talk to Mark Zuckerberg, the Facebook guy, and see if we can make it a requirement for people to read the book of James before getting a Facebook account. <laughs> because it's <laughs> if you read through these sections and if you put the word post wherever you see the word speak, or if you put the word like social media, wherever you see the word tongue, it will really change the way you think about what you do online. <laughs> At least for me, it did. And I'd really encourage you, if you're thinking, what I'm going to read for devotional material this week, read James. And read James in light of what's going on in our world and how quickly people are to judge other people, to, to, to be critical of others, to, to post the share things that can be really just, you know, sometimes nasty. I just... It's, it's a really important book for our time, and I found it really helpful, and I'm going to keep it in my regular rotation as I've read through it. So James talks about how the tongue, how it, it affects everything. But there's something special, something especially that it affects, that our English translation unfortunately just blows right past. If you go back to our lesson, it says he deceives himself. Well, in the original language, it says he deceives his heart. That if you don't think about your words, you actually deceive your heart. And in the Bible, the heart is very significant. The heart is, is, is where you make your choices, your decisions. It, the heart is, is where you, you really, it, it, where you lead your life. And Jesus actually interestingly says in Matthew chapter 12, says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So James talks about if you don't keep a tight rein on your mouth, it deceives your heart. Well, Jesus says from your heart, you speak. They're kind of two sides of the same coin. In other words, your heart and your mouth are directly connected. 
And when you don't take control of your words, it's bad for your heart. Which is why it affects everything else. Why is it bad for your heart? Well, remember too the way God's Word talks about the heart. The heart being this part that that, that really leads your life and, and it really directs your life. Naturally, we have sinful, broken hearts. Actually, Jeremiah says that the heart is deceitful above all else. Naturally, we live by just what feels right, what feels good, what seems to be positive or helpful. This is how we naturally go about things. And it's deceitful for us because it feels right. It feels natural, but it's actually detrimental to us and to those around us. That's our natural state. Is it going in a way that just it flows, it just, it just comes out, but it's really not good for us. But the promise of Scripture is that God would give us new hearts. Hearts that work properly. Hearts that have new life from Him, that know Him and, and, and love Him and love others. And in, in Christ, through faith in Christ, we have new hearts. But right now, so we have this battle though that goes on because we still have a sinful nature with us, a sinful heart with us. But then we have a new heart from the Spirit. And right now we have this wrestling match. And so we now need to think about are our words going to come from our new heart, from what God says? Or are we just going to let the natural sinful heart have its way? And when you think about your words and think about what God wants, you feed the new heart. When you just let whatever come out, you're letting that sinful, broken heart just flourish. And then when that happens, you become part of the problem. Because then we're just letting that sinful, broken heart have its way. And when it has its way through our words, it controls our lives. And instead of having lives that are walking with God, they're lives that are tainted by our broken hearts. Okay, so if that's what religion is not to look like, what is it to look like? Because James doesn't just leave us there with, okay, that's worthless, that misses the point. He goes on from it. He says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure as fault and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. I think that word accepts is a bit unfortunate because it kind of sounds like this is what you need to do for God to accept it, for God to be happy with you. And this does talk about the goal or the point of religion, but this is not something you do for God to be happy with you. And you can kind of see it better in the original language the word accepts isn't there. It says this is the religion. This is, this is the, the, the respecting the fearing of God that is, that is good in His presence. It's, it literally says near Him or beside Him. This is religion that is pure and faultless in His presence. This is religion that is good and faultless, faultless near Him. See, the religion that is pure and faultless is a religion that treasures God and knows Him. A couple weeks ago, we had this, well, a few weeks ago now, this lesson, can I really know God? Well, reality is that's what it's about. God created us to know Him and be known by Him. 
There's a religion, there's a way of practicing religion where you are in his presence knowing him and knowing what it is to know him, to live that way. And this is what James says, to look after orphans and widows. Now, at first glance, it might seem like James is just kind of grabbing one example of a charitable thing to do. Um, Of course, you want to look after orphans and widows, but really that's how he's summing it up. This is where reading the Old Testament and having that background is really helpful. Um, I know, and just just to share this as an encouragement for reading the Old Testament, I, I, I hear people tell me this, and I've heard it this week actually, Someone's talking about how, uh, how hard it can be to read the Old Testament sometimes. There's so much going on. There's so much history. You can kind of get lost in it. Even if you get lost in the history, one of the really beneficial things about reading the Old Testament is you start to notice that there's stuff that comes up a lot. At least this is, this is one of the things that's been really beneficial for me is I've realized there's all these things that come up over and over again. And one of the things that comes up over and over again in the Old Testament is God talking about looking after orphans and widows? I mean, you've got verses like Deuteronomy 10:18, where it says He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow, and loves the alien. So, in other words, like the 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 the, the foreigner, the immigrant, giving him food and clothing. Psalm 68: He's a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, as God in His holy dwelling. Psalm 146, the Lord watches over the alien and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but He frustrates the way of the wicked. God is described as, as, as loving the orphan and the widow. But then also He gives the command to His people over and over again to you also look after them. Deuteronomy 27.19, pretty abrupt words. Cursed is the man who withholds justice from the alien, the fatherless or the widow. Then all the people shall say Amen to that. Over and over again, God talks about how he loves the orphan and the widow, and how he wants his people to. We even have actually a whole book of the Bible that has a beautiful picture of God's heart for widows. The book of Ruth, where you end up having three widows. You have the the mother Naomi, and then you have the daughters, one of them being Ruth and Ruth comes back with Naomi back home, and you have this beautiful picture of Boaz being a kinsman redeemer and providing for her. And it's this great reminder when you read through that book, by the way, that in, in the Bible times, that widows were basically out of luck because inheritance went on through the, 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 the husband's line. Widows had very, very little. And so there with that, you have Boaz really providing for her and for her family. It's this beautiful picture of the heart of God. And in Jeremiah 22, we get really verification that the reason why God talks about this so much is because this is it's part of his nature. It's part of his character. This is God's heart. Here in Jeremiah chapter 22, it's actually first talking about a king. It says, he defended the cause of the poor and the needy, and so all went well. But then here we get an insight to God. Is that not what it means to know me, declares the Lord? It's God's heart to to look after and to love widows and orphans. And why? If you think about it, it really makes sense. In Bible times, remember, widows, they basically had nothing. They were stuck. Orphans, what do they have to offer you? Nothing. But God has the sort of heart 
where he loves to love people who are in desperate need. And he loves to love people when they have nothing to give back to him. The heart of God is that he, when, he looks, when he looks around the world, he is looking for people to help. He is looking for people to love. This is who he is. And so if you're going to know God, part of knowing God is knowing his heart, that he loves the orphan and the widow. He loves any of us, all of us, who desperately need Him and don't have anything really to offer Him. That's the thing with so much religion. Religion often gets portrayed like, this is what you do to make God love you. That's exactly the opposite. Religion is recognizing that God loves to love those who have nothing to offer Him. Is religion part of the problem? Some religion, yeah. But religion that sees the heart of God and loves the heart of God, that religion isn't part of the problem. That religion is the answer to the problem. I mean, now, James doesn't just leave it at talking about orphans and widows. He goes on, he also talks about keeping oneself from being polluted by the world. Now, the word polluted means stained or, or blemished. Again, the Old Testament context can be very helpful. In the Old Testament, remember, there were the, the worship practices where uh, there was the, the tabernacle and the temple, and if you were to go into God's presence, only certain people could go in there, only with blood in certain ways, as an atonement for their sin, so that there would be basically a clean space to be in God's presence. Because if you're going to be in the presence of the perfectly holy, clean God, you have to be clean. And so God is talking about being, being clean, being unstained, not being blemished by the world, but being clean so you can be in His presence, in the presence of God. And when you have that, when, you, when, you're, clean, when you're clean, when you're clean, when you're unstained, when you're unblemished, that's where you can, can be with Him and know Him and practice religion with Him. It's not just, okay, I'm going to give money to the poor, or I'm going to go do something nice for the orphans or the widows. You can do those outward things, and still miss the point. That's not how religion works. It's, it's not just doing something nice for those who need it, but also being unstained by the world. I don't know about you, but I look at something like that, about being unstained by the world, and then my heart starts to tell me, wait, that again, just like that whole talker thing, like where I talk so much, this is also something I need to stop and take note because, man, I know I have been stained in so many ways by the world. And every day, I struggle with it. I know that instead of living the way God would have me live, often I run off and do things my own way. I do just sometimes let my mouth run and let my sinful heart direct my life or my newsfeed or whatever. I know I do that. So we can look at this and go, okay, being unstained by the world, where does this leave me? Because I often am stained by the world. If I'm honest, often the way I practice religion is part of the problem. So what do we do with it? Well, here we go back now, and let's remember what religion really means. 
Remember the word religion talked about fearing the Lord, reverencing the Lord, which is an important concept in God's word. It's there a lot. And it's one of those things in the book of James. Remember how it's kind of a New Testament Proverbs back in the book of Proverbs. There's this beautiful verse about how the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you're going to live out your life the way God would have you do it, it starts with the fear of the Lord. What is the proper fear of the Lord? Our small group Bible study last year talked about this. We've referenced it some in sermons, but just want to go back and, and, and hit it again. The fear of the Lord is not meant to just be being afraid of God. Sometimes we might, if we do something wrong, you might have a right fear of God, of being afraid of God in some ways. But really, that's not, that's not it. That's not the whole of it. That's something that maybe comes into play at times, but that's not what it is. You can be afraid of God and have religion all wrong. And the fear of the Lord isn't just showing respect to Him. You can show respect and reverence to somebody. And you can show respect and reverence to God and completely miss the point. The fear of the Lord is standing in awe of God. It's trembling because of how big He is and amazing He is and how gracious and loving He is. And when we find that sometimes our religion, the way we've been practicing it, has been part of the problem, we need to go back to what religion really is and stand in awe of God and His goodness and His grace. We need to go back and stand in awe of the fact that though we have run off and done things our own way, we, by our sinful lives, have lived as orphans. Live in a way where we didn't have a home. A true home. Live in a way where we didn't have any part in what God was doing. But God's Word uses the language over and over again that He has adopted us as His children. By the way, Galatians chapter 4 here, I, I use a different version than we normally do. Because I noticed something this week, and it's really unfortunate. And I just, that's why I want to bring it to your attention. So usually we pull from the NIV 1984. And the NIV 1984 has removed almost all the adoption language from the Bible of the New Testament. Like here, for instance, where it says God is so that we would be adopted as sons. They, they don't have the word adopted in there. And I went, I'm like, well, maybe it's one place. And I look in a bunch of others. It's not there anywhere or hardly anywhere. And so I just worry that, that, that to your attention because if you have an NIV 84 Bible, it's possible that you've been reading it and the reality is this theme of adoption has been there all along and we haven't been seeing it. Over and over again, God has this theme that we were orphans, but we have been adopted by Him. And we today stand in awe of the fact that we, though we ran and had nothing, now inherit everything from Him. Today, we stand in awe of the fact that we were like, like widows in Bible times. We had nothing. But Jesus laid down His life for the church, which Ephesians, when encouraging husbands how to love their wives, says we should do it like Christ loved the church. Jesus looks at us as His bride. He has redeemed us to be His. He treasures us that way. He treasures us that way and He has made us clean. This Ephesians verse, this Ephesians section also talks about how He has 
has made us washed so that we are without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish. You are clean before God because Jesus laid on His life, died for your sins, and rose again. You are washed. You are cleansed. You have been adopted as a child. You are treasured as a bride. You are not polluted by the world in God's sight. True religion is standing in awe of God and that He has done that and that He has done that for you. Knowing that you are loved, that you are a child, that you are treasured, you are His bride, that you are clean. And what God would have us do would be to know His heart for us and then for the world. One of the things we talked about when we talked about can I really know God is God would have us know Him not by just saying, okay, that's how God is, but God created us to be walking pictures of Him. Now we are to live who God is. And when we treasure that that's what God's heart is for us and that's what God's heart is for the world, that's when God changes our heart. That's what the point is for us to know Him and to be in His presence and then to live as people who have changed hearts where He's taken us from sinful sinful, broken people rather than living according to our sinful nature. Now we live with a heart of flesh. A heart that is alive. Now we live as people who don't have to be stained by the world. We get to live as people who think about what we say so that we don't live according to that sinful way, but rather we, we continue to feed and nurture our hearts, our new hearts. But rather than living for ourselves and what feels right to us, we, like God, seek out those who need it, those who can't pay us back. We show love to those who are different, who, who are struggling, who disagree with whatever, Rather than having hearts that are focused on us, we have hearts that are looking for people to love. We won't always live that out by all means because we still have that sinful nature. But whenever we recognize, oh, I've been part of the problem, God would have us go back to the solution and stand in awe of the fact that He has continued to adopt us, to love us, to treasure us as His bride, to cleanse us. And as we stand in awe of Him and are transformed by Him, He works through us to bring that love and His heart to the world. And that religion is not part of the problem. This is what religion looks like. That is the solution. My name is Azaria. My name is Naho. My name is Pinya. My name is Daiwi. My name is Musi. I'm 10 years old. I am 7 years old. I am eight years old. I am nine years old. While I was traveling to different parts of the country, I have seen many children starving, dying, and with many suffering. So I, I, I couldn't, you know, keep on doing some other business assignments. So finally, when you know time comes, when Jesus feel my my, my heart with this ministry, I, could, I couldn't continue. I finally decided, left my comfortable zone because I was fully, my, 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 I was pregnant, you know. I have to deliver that mission, you know. 
I saw because the Lord told me that there is a vision. I put in you, you have to accomplish that. And finally, it was not very difficult for me to decide. It's really 100% the Holy Spirit assisted me to start the orphanage. Physically, when you see it, it's not very easy decision. Seeing the kids suffering is the biggest and very tragic thing that I can, I can explain because they are helpless. These people are, you know, they don't have parents, they don't have relatives. Some have gone away, not to see them die, not to see them, you know, crying and suffering. Some of them are on their hands, I mean, relatives' hands, relatives hands without eating. They might, you know, see sucking the priest, but no milk inside because the mom is not getting enough food. So just seeing this in different parts of the country, just running a very good business here, I mean, driving car and medication and other insurances are not important for me. That doesn't, that couldn't make me very happy. Now I'm very happy because I play. I see children very happy, changing from that situation to this situation. So actually, if you don't love Jesus and love children, it's not a work that you choose because there are different challenges. The food, the medication, the school, the house rent, the clothing, everything is a challenge. There are times when I have been crying, you know, sitting on my table. Tomorrow I have to buy, these kids doesn't know. If I say I don't have, they cannot understand me. But one thing uh, that makes me very happy is Jesus loves the kids. I never have luck nothing because he loves them. He always provides. When I started the orphanage, I was empty. Just I started from nothing, just believing that Jesus can provide. It's miracle. By the way, I believe in miracles. I believe in the prayers Jesus taught. He said, pray only to get your daily prayers. I always say, Lord, I want my daily prayers, these children are. Your soul, I need daily prayers for these children. I tell you, brothers and sisters, sometimes even I don't know from where, where I get, from when in my account, from different parts of the country. Miracle. So I, I, I trust the Lord. He never have left me alone. Everybody knows I'm not a boss of anybody here. Everybody's boss is Jesus Christ. Because it's not my mission. I'm the tool. So it's his mission. He's here to accomplish. He always sees here. Everybody is working for the glory of the Lord. So the kids have got special families. They are alone. They had no one. But now they have families that they love them. They are given attention. They are given love. They are given priorities. So praise God. Praise Jesus. He is God.